0: Already right, seated. All right, good deal. Well, welcome. Once again, everybody doing all right? Yep. Good, good. Happy Sunday to you. Good to see you. Um, we're going to continue this morning with uh, our study that we began, uh, I don't know, two, or three weeks ago. Uh, we've titled it Necessary Endings. And that comes from this, um, a book that has become uh, become meaningful to me again. I think this book was written, I want to say, like 2010-ish. Uh, somebody can check me on that. But, um, but and I had, was familiar with it and it was on the shelf. And then over these more recent months, um, as we've been going through what we're going through collectively as a church family, my interest in the book was, was rekindled. Um, so the title of the book is Necessary Endings, written by Dr. Henry Cloud. He's most famous for the Boundaries series of books. He's a psychologist in background. Uh, and the subtitle is something like the relationships, businesses, and something. Um, things that are going to have to end have in order for us to move forward. I don't have the subtitle written down, but it's kind of long like that. So that really kind of says it all. And so the, you know the thesis of the book is that really at every step or stage of life there are always um, processes relationships stuff in our life um, that really has to end in order for us to to move forward to whatever's next you know um, so that's that's the idea from the book and as we started out um, a couple weeks ago and this is I think is important for us is to realize that what dr. cloud is saying in his language he's a psychologist by education and training and practice it's actually something that you see in scripture all the time when you start looking for it you know you see it over and over again um, and we talked about how Jesus uses this phrase the sign of Jonah and he says this generation is looking for a sign the only sign I'm going to give is the sign of jonah and it's really curious language and you think wait a minute sign of Jonah what, what, what's he talking about the sign of Jonah well when you reflect on it what you realize is that you know Jesus as a You know, young Jewish boy. Um, He read the scriptures just like we do, including what we call the Old Testament, which includes the story of Jonah. So Jesus took the story of Jonah and somehow in his reflection, Jonah's story was converted into like a pattern, a sign that could be experienced not just by Jonah, but also certainly by Jesus, the pattern of Jonah down into chaos, down into uncertainty, down into darkness, down into helplessness, uh, thrown overboard by his friends. Uh, And then after three days in fish guts, you know, Jonah was spit out on the correct beach where God would have him be. You can certainly see how Jesus could see the story of Jonah as a pattern that fit his own life. Um, And then, but once you start looking through that lens you see very similar language all throughout the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. What's that? Death. Uh, unless a seed falls into the ground, you know, or when a seed falls into the ground and dies, it becomes many seeds. What's that? Death and resurrection. That's that same pattern. That, you know, we like to think the pattern the pattern of life is up and to the right, continually without end. But in reality, what you see both in the, in the teaching of Jesus and certainly Apostle Paul, is that to them, it appears the pattern of life is more like a U, down, and then there's an apex and up again. Um, that that resurrection is what what we call it in the case of Easter. So so it becomes a the story of Jonah becomes for Jesus what he calls the sign of Jonah, and then it becomes this universal pattern for all of life. That's the that's the the well, for lack of a better way to say it, that's the religious language for the same thing that Dr. Cloud is talking about in this book, necessary endings. So, um, so we started a study on it, and uh, I think there's multiple angles for these reflections for us. You know, I think it was kind of like two parallel rails as we go through these through this study. Um, on one track is our common experience as a church family. We have been through something of a son of Jonah. Um, and I, as I said before, I feel like we're at the apex of that turn and ready for, for what's next, you know, the, the second half of the sign. So there's reflection there for us collectively as we go through this study. But then also, my hope is that in addition to those shared reflections and experiences that we have, that at the same time there will be application for these reflections in, in our lives individually, organizations that we're part of, Family, perhaps, and so on. So my hope is that we can try to accomplish, you know, like, all of that. Um, So for today, the goal here is quite simply stated. What we want to talk about today, and I'll try to make a case for why this matters, but um, what we want to talk about today is making friends with endings or coming to a point where we see endings in life as a natural and normal part of life. That's that's what we want to get to um, today, or at least that's what we're you know talking about today. So like last week we talked about pruning and how essential pruning is that any living thing, in order for it to grow, flourish, thrive, it has to be pruned. And the example we use is with a rose bush, but we see that the same is true, you know, in in all of our lives. And so I asked the question at some point last mm-hmm. week, for each of us to do a little introspection with regard to okay, let's assume let's assume that everybody sees that like rationally. Yes, I understand that for any living thing, for it to grow and thrive, I understand that some pruning has to take place along the way, and I understand that that's not just a, a metaphor for a rose bush. I understand that that's real for my life and for an organization. Pruning has to happen, but then I asked for suggested. That each of us kind of go the next step and try to reflect on okay so how am i really with performing endings like i can see it clearly i can see it rationally that it's necessary endings are necessary but then to what extent can i acknowledge and i'm kind of say it gently to what extent can i acknowledge that when it really comes down to it i'm resistant to endings i'd rather just hope and keep on hoping or just keep on going and just kind of, you know, not make waves, not rock the boat, especially when there's people involved. I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I know this relationship should be pruned from my life, but I don't want to do it because I don't want to be, be upset. I want to be a nice person, I don't want, you yeah, know, all that. So there's lots of, I think, when we're honest, and this is just based on my own, both my own personal experience and observation, that um, I think, generally, we are resistant to endings. So the question becomes, how do we bridge that gap between, okay, I can see it, it's necessary, printing must happen, and yet there are these internal resistances, so how do we? How do I kind of start to get over that hump? Um, and that's where we are today, because what we don't want to do is be that person or those people who just remain stuck, you know, because I, I can't pull the trigger. I see the need for the ending, whether it's a relationship or a, a pattern in my family or a a program in my business or aspects of our, my, my church, I see that there's some things that really that really have to go away. I mean, it just has to end. Uh, and yet, I'm resistant to pulling the trigger, to performing the ending, and so we just kind of limp along and stagger along and maybe stay stuck. And I mean, this is not what this conversation is about today, but my, uh, well, experience and observation tells me that when when we when we when we say stuck, we're not really stuck we're just we're actually still kind of limping along, carrying along these counterproductive sometimes truly diseased elements in our life, and then eventually a real crisis emerges, a very avoidable crisis emerges you know it's just gone on for too long so um so we want to avoid that so how do we take that next step well, here's where dr. cloud um kind of goes real psychologist um, on us, and he has a nice section about the brain and how the brain actually works. And you're, you're probably familiar with this, but but internally, we all have um, impulsive mechanisms in our brain to where whenever we encounter something that is unwanted or un, uh, unfamiliar or perceived as a threat, our brain quite naturally moves into what's commonly called fight or flight or sometimes called fight flight or freeze. It's like a like a, a an automatic response. When we encounter something that seems wrong, unfamiliar, threatening, etc., we go into an almost irresistible mode of fight, flight, or freeze. But on the contrary, when we encounter something that seems right to us, seems familiar, seems appealing, seems friendly to us, then we naturally engage or embrace that thing or whatever it is, circumstance, experience, person, etc. So when you place that observation about how the brain works into this conversation about endings, what do you get? Well, when my baseline perception is that an ending means something is wrong, something's wrong with me, something's wrong with God, something's wrong with my spiritual life or whatever, then my natural response is going to be to, I'm going to fight, flight, or freeze. I'm going to resist the ending. I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to deny it. I'm going to just pretend that it'll go away if I, you know, just, you know, pray hard enough or, you know, enough time, <laughs> you know, um, this this problem will will go away. Um, but on the contrary, if we can come to a place where we see endings as. A natural, normal—not just necessary, but a natural and normal part of life—then perhaps we can get over that almost impulsive resistance that perks up in the brain if we perceive endings as something threatening or wrong, mm-hmm. or, uh, et cetera. Did everybody see that? Mm-hmm. So that's that's like you know that's like going hard you know to the core psychology um, on us. But that's how Dr. Cloud sets up um, the sort of the basis for this presentation that I'm relaying to you uh, this morning. So essentially he says, so how do we get to, how do we get from a place where we perceive endings as something wrong to a place where instead we see endings as a natural, normal part of life, even something that we can be friends with. How do we get there? Well he says we need to embrace three principles about life. And really quickly in summary, here, here they are. Number one, Life is made up of cycles and seasons. We're gonna talk about all these in detail. Number two, life always produces more life than we can sustain. And number three, terminal disease and even evil are a part of life in this world. All of those are principles that are just true about life, and all of them are principles that that necessitate endings. They have all of these have endings embedded within them, right? So, let's just look at these one by one. Number one, life is composed of seasons and cycles. Right? Like, like in this way, life is similar to the seasons of the year. Spring, summer, fall, and winter. Just like each year has spring, summer, fall, and winter, we can see that our lives have seasons as well. Spring, summer, fall, and winter. And the point of all this is to realize that once we realize the seasonality of life, then the endings associated with the changes of season become not something wrong or something threatening, but something that's just perfectly natural. And these endings are necessary because of the seasons of life. So, you know, we're pushing this. Metaphor, but if you think about the seasons of the year and the kinds of tasks that would be normal maybe to a farmer, let's say, with the changing seasons of the year, right? So in springtime, the tasks and functions that would be normal to a farmer in spring would be what's tilling the soil, um, planting seeds, you know, tilling, sowing, tilling, sowing. And then when summer season comes around, um, the tasks are going to change. It might the summer might be about tending to the new young plants that are starting to emerge, you know, from the soil. Um, watering the plants, protecting these young plants, protecting them from disease or whatever. I mean, the, the point is the tasks and functions are different because the season has changed, and that meant that the tasks and functions of spring had to end, right? And fall comes around. Now it's time for harvest. We don't we're not planting in the fall. That would be a mismatch. Planting had to end when spring ended. And now fall comes around, and we're harvesting now, right? So wintertime. What happens in winter? I don't know. I'm not really not really a farmer, but maybe you got some tractors to fix, or you know, I don't know what you're doing. But it's different, you know. Um, so so the point is, each season involves different tasks and activities, and this means quite naturally that the tasks associated with the season that has now passed those tasks and functions must end. That's not a problem. That's not something wrong. That's something that's perfectly natural. And there's an analogy there for um, our lives. Each season of our lives involves different tasks, different activities, maybe even different relationships, different pursuits, different interests, etc. And when those seasons of life change, so do the tasks associated. I want to read this, um, this passage from Ecclesiastes. It's It's irresistible um, to have this as part of our reflection in in the context of a (coughs) conversation like this. And so I'm going to read it, and I want to ask you as I read it to listen for this theme of endings. How often this theme of endings either is stated almost explicitly or is implied um, as we read this passage of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. For everything there is a season. time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sew; a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. The point of that is not to go through each one of those, but just to say that the ancient wisdom is to see the seasonality in life. And, you know, sometimes... Sometimes that can be, that can be complicated, you know, because sometimes I think what we, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and this is not, well, I'll just say it. I apologize for it. and just say, it. <laughs> you know, but especially I think when we're younger, you know, it's like, just give me something simple. Like, like, how do I, how do I do it? Well, you just, you just, you just embrace, you just love, you just, get. but when you hear the older folks, the older folks are going to say, yeah, yeah, that's good. But you know, there's also a time. There's also a time to hate some things that you used to love. And there's also a time. There are also some, some things that you used to embrace. There's also a time to refrain from embracing. And when you're younger, and you're just only like, God, ah, just make it simple. Just give me the rules. Just give me the rules to follow and all that. But but the older you get, you don't know. It's not you got to you got to flow. You got to know the season. You know, and and you can have two people side by side, and one person is in a season where what they're called to do in that season is to sow and embrace and plant and all that. And another person's in a, di- in a different season of life and what's, what's appropriate for that person's time of life is to be plucking up some stuff, to, to be um, uh, rejecting some things that they used to love, to be refraining from embracing some things, maybe some people that they once embraced. You see what I mean? So it's, it's, about, it's about embracing these seasons. And, and again, the same thing is true with relationships. Relationships have seasons. You, know, you think about a new relationship. When a relationship is new, you know, the springtime analogy for a farmer sowing and planting and tilling the soil, well, to me, I think of the, you know, the allegorical connection is when a relationship is new, it's all about learning and discovering things about this new person. And there's a wow to everything you learn. and Ooh, this person is fascinating and they're so interesting. They have all these fresh stories that I've never heard and all these great jokes. And, I mean, every time we're together, it's just sowing, 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 planting, 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 right? But then the season of spring passes and another season comes. And we'll stick with the agricultural, you know, pattern. So summertime comes. And with summer in a relationship... Now it's no longer about sowing and hoping for something to emerge. Now you have an actual relationship. And that actual relationship now has to be tended and cared for. And so all those flashy, impressive stories aren't near as meaningful in the summer season as actually paying attention to the needs and wants and maybe the hurts and pains of your new friend, whether this is a romantic relationship or not. I mean, these, these seasons just, you know, they just happen. So... And the point is, if you don't recognize when spring turns to summer, then guess what? You're going you're gonna to assume that it's still spring, uh, and, and, and you're going to keep on with the behaviors of summertime when you've now gotten into spring, and those behaviors aren't appropriate anymore. Uh, there's another application, I think. when In a relationship, when spring has turned to summer... Well, in summer, the wow that was so common and prevalent in spring, once you gets to summer, that wow is mostly gone. Because now it's about tending to an actual relationship. And if you don't recognize seasons, and you think that spring was supposed to be permanent, mm-hmm. which means you think that the wow was supposed to be permanent, but now you're in summer and the wow has subsided in the relationship, now you think something's wrong. Mm-hmm. You think something's wrong with the relationship, not because something actually is wrong, but because you just didn't recognize the changing of the season. And, and I'm telling you, I've lived that. I've seen that and I've experienced it personally without recognizing the season. You know, and you think something's wrong or so, so somebody thinks something's wrong with me. I mean, you know, you first, I mean, okay, I'll just say, I've seen this happen billions of times in the context of church. Somebody comes Somebody comes to our church for the first time, the second time, the third time, and they're just wowed by us. They think you are the most loving people on the planet. They think I'm the most fascinating preacher that ever lived, you know. Uh, and then weeks go by, months go by, whatever, and I'm not that impressive anymore. They've heard all my jokes, you know, and all my stories. They know exactly how I'm going to present a sermon. It's not, you know— it's not fascinating anymore, and suddenly uh, you guys are, are the most callous people because <laughs> you didn't pay attention to their whatever, and you don't even love Jesus. You probably hate God. You're just <laughs> pretending, you know. And what's happening there? This is a person who doesn't understand seasons. Mm-hmm. There's seasons in relationships. Spring is not perpetual. Summer comes, and in summer there's a time for tending, you know. Um, you know, and then I don't know. We could carry this analogy on in, on further. And I do, I think about the harvest in um, a relationship. You know, um, Georgia and I uh, will be married, I don't know if I get the math right, I think this December it'll be 29 years, and then next December we will have been married for 30 years. Wow. I, I, yeah, I, I'm struggling right now with that. I mean, Georgia, you know, she did that math, and um, man, I'm... I still can't, you know, I can't, can't get over that. Um, but I, so I can say, it's hard for me to say what harvest is, but I can say the analogy the analogy works. Because mm-hmm. there comes a time in relationship when you've put in the time, and, and you've practiced the practices of spring and summer, and you've tended to the plant, and you get to a point where, I mean, harvest is just a great um, analogy where there's a richness to your companionship, there's a richness to your, your walk together, your shared hopes and dreams, your, you know, the, I don't know, even if the conversation is easy, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, having been married for 30 years, I can tell you, is a lot sweeter than having been married for three, four, five, six years. Mm-hmm. I mean, those were not the same, that was not the same season, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Georgia and I had a dear friend who was a real mentor to us in her in her later years um, and um, one of the things she said in the context of the conversation about marriage, she said, you know, a lot of young people um, don't stick it out long enough to get to the sweet part. Mm -hmm. And I think she was talking about harvest Mm there, you know, that there is, I mean, um, the tasks of of spring and summer in a relationship, they come with a cost, I mean, they just do, Um, but yet, Having, having invested those years in those earlier seasons in a relationship, there is a richness to harvest that you just don't get in the spring and you just don't get in the summer, but it surely comes um, with, with that later season. So, and again, the point of all that is to say that with each changing season in a relationship, the tasks and functions of the earlier seasons, maybe not entirely, but in large part have to come to an end tasks and functions that were appropriate at a prior season are no longer uh, appropriate in that later season. We can make the same application um, with organizations. You know, with an organization, springtime would be analogous to the startup phase. where Everything is about sowing and planting and building and developing and new customers and new clients and laying the groundwork and all that. And then eventually, you turn a corner, it's not like on a certain day, but eventually you feel it, like you turn a corner. Well, okay, now there's an actual organization here, and somebody's got to pay attention to its needs. You know, and I can't just be out drumming up new business every day now or new customers or new, you know, whatever. I've got to be tending to an actual organization that has needs and vulnerabilities and it's gotta be tended, it's gotta be nurtured. So there's a there's a changing, you know, of a season in business or any organization as well. So you get the idea. The point is that life is comprised, composed of seasons and cycles, and with those changing of seasons and cycles, endings are not just necessary; they are normal. It's it's appropriate. It's right. It's natural. It's not something um, that's it's not an, uh, indicative of something that's wrong with me or you or the organization or anything else. It's just that we've moved now into a new season, I think that's really helpful. And I've got some reflections for later in our discussion, but but for me, man, that's really really mm-hmm. empowering um, to, to recognize that. Okay, so here's principle number two that helps with coming to terms with and making friends with endings. It's just to recognize this. Life always produces more life than we can sustain. <laughs> um, and so here to bring some Meaning to that, we go back to the rosebush, right? We talked about it last week. You think about it, any rosebush is always gonna produce more buds and branches than its stalk Mm -hmm. can deliver resources to in order to bring those buds and branches to full maturity, it just can't. It's gonna produce more buds than it can sustain and bring to maturity. That's why pruning is essential to a healthy rosebush. Well, it's the same with our lives. Our lives will always produce more life than we can sustain. What do we mean by life? Well, I mean, pick a category. Um, We're always going to produce more relationships than we can uh, nurture. uh, As we go through um, the years of our lives, we're always going to produce more activities than we can handle. Um, uh, We're going to accumulate more stuff than we can store. (laughs) I mean, the phrase spring cleaning is real, right? I mean, there's a reason we <laughs> call it spring cleaning. And there's a reason why that phrase went from a literal meaning uh, and grew to an abstracted meaning. And now we say, I got to do some spring cleaning in my relationships. I got to do some spring cleaning on my calendar. I got to do, some, right? So the reason we did it is because life always produces more life than we can sustain. Um, and some of you creatives are more likely to understand this one, but we are always gonna produce more ideas than we can reasonably pursue. You know, I'm always gonna think more cool things oh, we could do this or we could do that, or we can do whether it's again whether it's family or personal or in business. Oh, that'd be a need of church, heaven help us. We can do that, we can do that, we do that. You know? <laughs> life is gonna always produce more life than than what we can sustain. And therefore, by definition, this means that we would be on solid ground to assume that we are going to be in a constant state of letting go. A constant state of endings. Because if I've always got too many relationships, too many ideas, too much activity, too much accumulated stuff, I'm always going to be letting go. It's natural for me to assume, here we're saying really something even, I think, beyond what we said um, previously, is that, for lack of a better way to say it, in, in light of this observation, endings are more or less constant. In fact, far from endings being assumed to be wrong, we should assume something's wrong when I'm not practicing an ending of some sort on some level because I'm always magnetizing too much life to myself, my life, and therefore, in order to, to um, live in a sustainable way, I'm always going to be practicing some kind of ending and not feel like something's wrong with it, but know that it's just natural. It's just a part, a natural part of life um so uh life produces too much life and i think i want to say a word further here about um there's a sense in which i think it helps to think about this both in terms of quantity and quality maybe you know um and especially i'm thinking about making the application here in terms of relationships but um they say you know uh Sociology researchers say that the average human being can support roughly 150 relationships. That the human brain only has the capacity to support about 150 real relationships. Now, you're gonna know more people than that, but in terms of just how many actual real relationships can I have um, is 150. So, so think about that. What you and I both know is you're gonna meet way more than 150 people in your life over time right you're going to meet way more people than that and you're even going to like lots of those people but you only have the capacity for somewhere and maybe some are super you know super relationship people, like all your Facebook friends are actual real friends, I don't know who that is, but maybe there's some <laughs> you know, so but maybe there's some superstar, you know, relational superstar who could stretch it to 200 or whatever, but still, you're going to meet way more people than that, and you're going to like many of them, and you're going to be interested in having a relationship with more people than that, but you can't sustain more than at least it's a finite number it's not infinite, so and, I'm, you know, I'm happy with 150. I'm, I'm probably on the, on the way lesser side. I don't even know how somebody can do 150, honestly. But, you know, I guess those are differences. So, so okay, so that speaks to the, the quantitative analysis. But then, don't you know, you can take the next step in thinking about this, and you can see that there's a there's a further variable that has to do with quality, which is to say that, you know, your time and energy to cultivate relationships is finite, and so with each you know sort of outsized investment of time and energy into any particular relationship to, in order to increase the quality of that relationship, then on the flip side you 're going to have now have less time and energy to develop in those other one hundred and forty nine relationships in your life so so that is simply to say that um when we talk about life producing more life and realizing that that means some limits, well, when you add the qualitative aspect of sort of thinking about it, it might even be, there might even be more endings required if you're gonna amp up the quality in some subset of these 150 um, relationships. So, So, life produces more life and that implies endings, 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 letting go virtually, constantly. So again, the hope is big picture, the hope is by thinking these thoughts, thinking these things through, the hope is to move us from a place where our baseline had been resistant to endings. Hopefully by reflecting along these lines, we can move to a point where we see endings as natural and normal, and therefore, we're able to recognize them when they present themselves, a necessary ending, and execute these endings in a healthy way rather than persisting in that diseased state, which eventually leads to some sort of meltdown or crisis of some sort. We want to avoid that. Okay, so here's the third and final um, life principle. And it's stated this way. Terminal disease and evil are a part of this world. Which is to say that sometimes things, relationships, businesses or aspect of a business or aspects of a relationship, sometimes things get so sick that they will never recover. And when that happens, an ending is not only necessary, but it is actually natural part of life because terminal disease happens in life. Evil is real. And again, this is true in relationships or aspects of relationships, and this is true in organizations or aspects of organizations. Let me pivot here just a little bit. Um, do a little word association. I'm just going to throw out some words and just try to be aware of the way you respond when you hear these words, okay? Resolve. Tenacity. Perseverance. Hope. Faithfulness. stick to itness. Right? You know the category we're in. M- my, my belief is when you hear these words, your response is one is and affirming. These are beautiful character traits. These are character traits that are essential to life. These are character traits that are essential to healthy relationships, healthy organizations. Um, they are essential to, I, 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 this, is a, this is a circular statement, but I still stand by it. These are character traits that are essential to character. To having and being a person of character, something you have to pick. You have to, if you're gonna to put together a group of you know, thoughts or words that equal the, the total envelope of what healthy character is for you, I would say your envelope is not complete until it has one of these words in it. Determination, tenacity, perseverance, faithfulness. You gotta have some kind of word in that category in the envelope before we consider the envelope to be um, complete. All that is true. All that needs to be said, written about. I'm glad there's books that are written on those. I'm glad people go to seminars uh, about those character qualities. I'm glad we teach those things to our children as parents. All of that is important and good, right? But there comes a time when healthy, mature people recognize that this person, this relationship, This aspect of this organization, et cetera, is sick and it's never going to recover. And so it's got to come to an end. We've got to end it, walk away from it, and move on. There comes a time when healthy people, mature people, know the difference between, as Paul wrote, hoping against hope on the one hand versus beating a dead horse. (laughs) That's still real. There's still such a thing as beating a dead horse. Or trying to ride a horse that has a broken leg. That's still a real thing. And, and healthy, mm-hmm. insightful, mature people see that and know the difference. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking out of my own narrative right now, you know. Um, there is a sense in which for, for, for people like us, many people like us, um, who value these these ideals like hope, perseverance, determination, tenacity, faithfulness. there is a sense in which we, and as i was saying before when we get so one-sided on that side of the of the conversation that we can find ourselves we, we think I'm, what I'm doing is I'm hoping. I'm hoping against hope. I'm gonna, that one more word of encouragement, one more teachable moment, one more prayer. You know, one more week together, one more month together, and this person is going to get it. This this business is going to turn around. You know, whatever I can call that hope. But really, what it is, eventually, is just beating the dead horse. It's just self denial. And I think we can comfort ourselves with that, with all those big ideal words. Perseverance, hope, tenacity, whatever, when really what we're dealing with is our own internal resistance to an ending. We haven't actually made friends with endings and seen them as a part, a natural part of life. And so we create this big old, like, um, this big aura around ourselves where we can idealize hope, tenacity, determination. I'm just being faithful. I'm just going to be. No, it's dead. You need to kill it and move on. (laughs) You know? not being faithful you're walking in self denial right so there's a nuance there there's a skill there um, and I'm glad we have both conversations and I hope we can have move to a place where we have both um, of those conversations in our um, dialogue okay so terminal sickness is a part of life we need to learn to recognize it we need to learn to make that adjustment to that reality when we see it don't deny it recognize it you know it's like a um, the doctor, who has worked like crazy to save the patient, but eventually, when the monitor goes to flatline, the doctor, you know, she looks up at the clock and calls the time of death. She takes off her gloves and she walks out and goes and looks for the next patient to save. You know, or you recognize that it's just dead. This relationship is dead. This business process is dead. Whatever. We got to recognize it um, and see it and move on. Um, and then the mention of evil and this is just simply to say what we mean what Dr. Cloud is referring to is that sometimes there are some people who just want to hurt you they just want to create harm Um, and in that case once again an ending is necessary it's not wrong it doesn't make you a mean person Um, it's just being wise being adjusted to reality actually Um, So those three principles, um, recognizing those three principles which are just true about life, I think my own, you know, not that this is the last word to be said on the subject, but I think these are three very helpful. um, Well, in recognizing these principles about life, I think they're very helpful in moving us to a point where we see Endings as normal and natural, and therefore we're able to execute them um, in a healthy in a healthy way, right? Um, so, just just one other thought. And um, Dr. Cloud, he, he talks about this. Say, so, you know, um, in some ways, to kind of wrap all this up, um, this process of learning mm-hmm. to see endings as normal rather than something wrong, but see them as wrong, is really just a part of the bigger um, task for a maturing person, which is to come to terms with reality as it is. You know, um, you know, there are some people who who want to live in a world where you know every idea they have succeeds gloriously, every relationship they establish goes on forever and ever, and only gets better and better and sweeter and sweeter over time. Um, every person they meet loves them and really wants the best for them you know there's some people who want to live in that world but that's just not the world that we live in it's just not that's the universe this side of the fullness of the kingdom of God does not operate that way to the contrary we live in a universe where some ideas just don't work out some really good ideas just don't work out we live in a world where some I'll say most relationships are temporary they just are um we live in a world where some people genuinely want to harm us. There's no explanation, no rationale, whatever. Say what, But some people just want to harm. That's the universe we live in. We live in a world where, where some hopes are never fulfilled. Where some dreams, despite our very best effort, they just die. That's the world we live in. That's the reality for us. And it's the only reality we have. As I said, this side of the fullness of the kingdom of God and the sooner we adjust to that universe that we actually live in then the better off we are so those three life principles um, life produces more life than we can sustain terminal disease is real evil is real in this world and what was number one what was the first one take just a second Season. Life always produces more life. No, of cycles and cycle, seasons. Cycles and seasons, yes. Cycles and seasons, yes. Yeah. 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 So cycles and seasons, oh, more God. life than we can sustain, and in, in terminal disease and evil is real. I think coming to terms with those principles of life can go a long way toward just helping us with that sort of that core, reflexive resistance to ending. Mm. I think the more we embrace <coughs> those realities about life, then the more we're able to overcome that instance and ultimately make friends with endings. Amen? Yep. All right, good stuff. All right, we're going to turn off the live stream now.